Hey tryhards, Ethan here. Before we get into the show today, I want to talk to you guys about Patreon. Patreon is a donation service, a monthly subscription service where you donate money to me to support the show, to support uh, the growth of it, whether that means merchandise or more podcasts or other things of that nature. And I would really appreciate if you guys would be willing and able to give just a little bit of whatever extra money you may have. Because while the show will always be free for everyone to listen, um, the way to make it isn't. And I'm in college, and things are expensive. So I'd appreciate any little amount that you're able to give. So thank you for donating, and thank you even more for listening. Hello, my name is Ethan Hewlin. Like you, I live in a world that never stops moving. Also like you, I have stories. These are my stories. The true stories of a tryhard. Welcome back to True Stories of a Tryhard. I'm Ethan Hewlin, and this week, coming back with a guest after the COVID break, please welcome... Taylor Ballier. Taylor, welcome. Thank you, Ethan. I'm glad you could make it. I, I have successfully survived thus far to be here with you. That's what we're all doing. We're just surviving day to day at this point. That's a mood. So listeners, um, Taylor reached out to me about wanting to talk about her experiences with bipolar disorder. So um, Taylor, why don't you tell the listeners a little bit about yourself and how your journey with this got started? Yeah, so uh, I live in Pennsylvania. I have lived here my entire life. I went to school at Penn State, so I became as Pennsylvanian as you can possibly get. Um, and I currently am a world history teacher. Uh, All growing up, I had issues with anxiety and depression, um, but nobody would put a label on them. My parents just sort of told me that it was in my head and I just needed to stop. So it wasn't until I got to college that I was able to start getting some answers. Uh, I was fortunate that Penn State has a counseling service on campus and were able to set me up with a a therapist and psychiatrist. And as I'm like recounting all of these things in my life where I would go from not sleeping for two weeks and just being super hypervigilant about everything and then two weeks of needing to sleep constantly and just breaking down and crying. they were just like, uh, this sounds like textbook bipolar 2 disorder. And honestly, I was like mad at myself. I'd... Bipolar has such a stigma around it about being dangerous and um, so unstable that you could crack at any moment. And it took breaking my own stigma around it to really accept my diagnosis. And then on top of it, I have a generalized anxiety disorder and post-traumatic stress disorder. So we're, we're out here living our best. 
It's just but, a cocktail of intrusive thoughts, and I can only imagine. I can only imagine how bad this is. Yeah, um, I I was very fortunate to be set up with a psychiatrist. It took me a couple of tries to get someone who would listen to me and actually seemed to want to put in the effort to help me. Um, I'm currently in a pretty stable spot, but over the summer with COVID and just graduating college and not having a job and moving to a new city and all of that um, unbalance was, it, it got tough there for a couple months. And um, I've learned in the past four years since finally being able to actually explore what's going on in my head um, is really the only way I got through quarantine. Um, just letting myself recognize that things aren't right instead of just trying to push through it all the time. Um, but it's bipolar is interesting. It's not a one size fits all. Nothing ever is, but um, it's definitely tough having the stigma behind it when dealing with it. Why do you think there is such a stigma around it? So, I mean, even growing up, the way I knew it was what like TV and movies portray it as. It's sure. somebody who is quote unquote crazy, who's going off the walls in this manic phase where they have no control over themselves. They're larger than life, all this stuff. And yes, it can, if you have bipolar one, your manic phases are going to be a lot tougher to deal with. Um, you're dealing with a longer amount of time in what was referred to as mania. So having um, grandiose thoughts, um, having no um, self-control uh essentially but it doesn't normally mean that they're dangerous people they might be dangerous to themselves but not necessarily to others and with bipolar 2 i have hypomanic phases so not that bad it's normally i don't sleep for two weeks and don't need to and i tend to get a lot of stuff done during those phases but it's mostly depression and i think that gets left off out of the narrative a lot with bipolar is it's not necessarily mood swings. It's having one end is this manic, I can't catch my breath, I need to keep going. And the other end is this depression. And it's when they mix together that it gets dangerous. So I know a lot of people just characterize it as mood swings and it's not I'm happy one second and I'm angry the next. It's an overarching cycle that just I just have to deal with and sort of recognize. And unfortunately, um, media overall just doesn't portray it as that. Yeah. I mean, unfortunately, that is, um, that's a way a lot of different, um, a lot of different mental illnesses have kind of gotten the, the stereotypes pushed as reality rather than what it's actually like, like um, a few months ago, I talked to somebody with OCD and how that has mm -hmm. been kind of warped uh, in the media, in shows like 
like the TV show Monk. I don't know if you're familiar with Monk or not. Yeah. Um, but that kind of creates a picture of certain disorders that may not necessarily be healthy for those who um, are either trying to self-diagnose or trying to understand how they feel. And if they don't, and if what they see someone else on TV experiencing isn't exactly what they're feeling, they're less inclined to believe that there is something wrong with them. Yeah, and I think that's what you see, especially with things like OCD or schizophrenia or borderline personality disorder. Once you're getting into not necessarily more serious, but um, can carry a lot more um, stereotypes with them. Sure. Uh, It's difficult. I know my best friend um, has OCD and he isn't a clean freak which is what a lot of people think of. He has more of the um, habits that he has to do. So needing to check uh, how many uh, tiles he steps on in a certain amount of time, things of that sort. (laughs) And I think, like you said, with OCD, um, that's really not one size fits all. Right. and no mental uh, illnesses. Um, I, I think we, as a society in general, just need to be better at not stereotyping anybody, because no two people are ever going to be alike. No. I mean, that's one of the reasons that this podcast exists is because I want what is my mission is to uncover what it's really like for people who are experiencing these things every day. Yeah, and we need people to give voices, a voice to people. I, that makes sense. Like, bringing everybody together. Yeah. So, have you, just going, piggybacking off of that, have you seen or heard a depiction of bipolar that is closer to um closer to reality or at least in your case closer to reality not really um i can like for me personally uh, the closest thing i can think of is sort of uh uh, john green's portrayal of ocd in turtles all the way down okay and i can see myself a lot in the ideas of thought spirals Yeah, which is a big thing with how I deal with things. And even though it's not necessarily labeled as um, bipolar disorder, I think it's an anxiety trigger that sort of carries over a lot of um, overarching disorders. So I, I think what gets missed is because I have bipolar too. I'm not in that having manic episodes I'm having these calmer episodes with more of the depression part Um, so it's very hard for somebody like me who's not sick enough Mm. so to speak um, to see themselves because we want to fantasize what um, disease looks like sure 
I mean, I can definitely relate to, um, to the thought spirals. Um, I mean, I have generalized anxiety disorder, which, you know, like you said, it's not one size fits all, but that's how, um, when I have an episode, that's how it affects me most of the time is, you know, one thought leads to another, leads to another, leads to another until suddenly I'm just completely away from reality. Like what I'm thinking just is outside the realm of possibility of happening. And like, I'm, I'm glad that you were able to find at least one um, portrayal that's more accurate, but I know that we have a long way to go. And I think it helps that John Green was writing as himself almost. Sure. Um, especially in, in that book with OCD, um, he's very vocal about his struggle with it. And of course, like like we said, it's not one size fit all, fits all, but you are seeing somebody who's writing a book for young people and not sort of shying away from how they deal with it. Mm-hmm. So uh, like you said, there's a long ways to go, but um, that's the thing that comes to mind first. Okay. Um, so how... Uh, has it like been interfering with um, with like your day to day? Like, how does that affect you on a daily basis? So, um, like I said, I just graduated college. I am a, a COVID graduate. Um, what a wonderful uh, title to have! Mm-hmm. <clears throat> so, while I was in high school when I didn't know what was going on with me, I just thought I was being overdramatic or I honestly, I didn't know what to think about myself. It was um, breaking down, crying in the middle of class and having to run out in the hallway while having panic attacks. It's trying not to blame myself for things that uh, were outside of my control in my life at the time. Um, And that's where the PTSD comes in. But it was, I was lucky my senior year, I finally found that support team. And so I had a permanent pass to be able to go down to the guidance office if I was having a panic attack. But I didn't realize that my constant inability to find stability was like a real thing. Like it's, it wasn't just um, in my head. So as I've gotten to the point where I'm starting to grow up, I guess, I guess I'd be considered a real adult now. Uh, <laughs> I, I guess, I guess I pay bills and have a job, but <laughs> I'm, I, there have been times when I was in college where I was sleeping through my classes all week or I was up walking around campus at 2 a.m. because I wasn't sleeping. And I, <clears throat> looking back on college, I can see all of that clearly. It wasn't really until my senior year. So uh, last November uh, of 2019 was where I really hit my breaking point. Um, I was in the middle of student teaching. Uh, I was in a really bad situation with a roommate which wasn't their fault really at all. 
Uh, it was more on the uh, housing developments uh, side of things, but um, it was interfering with my PTSD and all of this stuff was working together and I pulling my eyes out and my partner would have to like bike to the to my apartment and get me out of the closet and make sure I eat and then one night it just finally hit ahead and I almost killed myself because I I just could not handle the constant this is your fault this is your fault this is your fault this is your fault in my head and not being able to fix it not being able to recognize some of the stuff is out of your out of your hands and it it came at a rough time because I was in like the middle of my student teaching so there was they suggested I go to a psychiatric hospital but I I couldn't if if I did I wasn't going to be able to graduate on time um and then I would have felt like all of that work I'd put in wouldn't have meant anything. So I pushed through, I made it through student teaching and then I was okay and then COVID hit, <laughs> which was fine. I, a lot of my stress in life has come from my family but I'm finally at a point where I can spend time with my family and not have as many issues with my PTSD as I have in the past. But I think the best thing that's come out of all of this is I did my thesis research in college about mental illness in teenagers in the social studies classroom. So my hope is my situation I can use to better understand and help my students, even though some days it's really difficult for me to get up and go to work, even though my work is in the next room over. But it it's... It's going to never stop being a struggle. And I think that's one thing I've had to like come to terms with. Yeah, that that makes a lot of sense. And that actually makes you think of something else. Um, do your do your students know that that you have struggled with this in the past? And does that has that helped them maybe open up to you a little bit, or are you not quite to that point yet? Oh, I'm very vocal about uh, that kind of thing. Um, I don't think I've really talked about it as much with my current students. Um, I've only been with them for three weeks now, I think. So I'm sure it'll come up. Um, They do know that my classroom is a safe space uh, for all individuals. Uh, I make sure to, but when I did my student teaching, my kids all knew, they they knew, what I was struggling with. And then it was also a teaching opportunity to tell them what bipolar was rather than what they saw on TV. And I think it's hard to separate life from your teaching life. It it just is, You, you put most of you in it. And I think we try and keep teachers from admitting their faults and where they're struggling around their students. And honestly, I think admitting to them, hey, I'm struggling with this, probably opened up a lot more um, communication with a lot of my kids. They, 
they still would s send me emails throughout the school year, even after I left. They would show up when I was subbing. Like, I think my situation, um, that honesty lets them be honest with you. Mm -hmm. And I, I don't shy away from it. I think I should be an advocate for students who are dealing with mental illness. And that isn't, doesn't just mean um, bipolar. The school I worked for, I work for is a trauma-informed school. So a lot of our kids are coming in with uh, trauma of all sorts. So um, it matters to me that they know. Why do you think it is that people expect teachers to be perfect? Expect me to be perfect or expect to be perfect in general? Just teachers as in general. Oh, teachers. Yeah. Well, I think, I mean, think back to elementary school. We've all thought one of our teachers lived in the building. Oh, yeah. Like that, that just seems to be a, that just seems to be a universal thing. Even in middle school, I remember my friends still thinking certain teachers lived there. <clears throat> and the teachers are synonymous with the school, I think. In, and when you're at school, you're supposed to be learning what you should be. And if a teacher is not being what they should be, they are failing as a teacher. And I think that is a harmful way of thinking for society in general, but for the teachers. Uh, we are teachers after we are people. And I'm very thankful that the school I work for is very big on making time for self-care and checking in with its teachers to make sure that they're okay and that they're um, not getting too lost in the system but unfortunately, not everybody has that sort of administration. And I think it's not just the administrations. It needs to be the parents. It needs to be the people at home telling their kids that, like, your teacher is a person. You can't expect them to always do what's right. And I think it becomes hard for teachers to admit when they're wrong in class for the same reason. They can't let down this facade that they have that where they have to meet the standard and I hope it's breaking down more uh, I can see it a lot more at least within my cohort of teachers who just graduated but we have a long way to go to reform the education system in general ain't that the truth well I mean, I, I have a thought. I don't know how valuable it is, but um, I was lucky enough that my mom was a teacher. She taught American history for five years at, at an alternative school. Um, mm -hmm. And because of her, I was able to see my teachers more as people than just like my teachers. And yeah, you're right. I did think some of them lived in the building, but that was mostly like my kindergarten teacher. Mm -hmm. And, and, and like, after that, uh, my mom was like, Ethan, your teachers don't live at the school because I'd see them at the grocery store and, you know, we'd be shocked 
at least I would be like, why are you here? Yeah, exactly. Like you, you like go to the swimming pool over the summer and your teacher's there with their kids and we're like, uh, what? You have a family? Mm-hmm. But you know, I I also think that um, that standard for for teachers to be perfect needs to be substituted for teachers need to be human. Yeah, I always tell my kids that they don't need to be perfect. They need to be the best them that they can be. We can't hold every teacher to the same standard, just like we can't hold every student to the same standard. We will all consistently be failing if we get to that point. And yet we try to anyway. I don't know what the standardized testing situation is in Pennsylvania, but in Kansas, it was like like an annual thing. It's now required to pass three. So you have to take a bio, uh, literature, and algebra one exam in order to graduate high school. Standardized test across Pennsylvania. Well, we're way off track, but we are approaching uh, wrap time. So Taylor, <laughs> do you have any encouraging words for those who might be um, trying to self-assess how they're feeling and if what you've described is what's happening with them? Uh, first, trust yourself. You know yourself better than anybody ever can. And you might have to put yourself into an uncomfortable situation to reach out to help. Unfortunately, we aren't at a place in our society where people are looking for that. But if you can even tell one person, um, it can go a long ways to getting you the help you might need. Or even to just bounce ideas off. Bottling it in is the worst thing you can possibly do. So at the end of the day, you're you and that's what matters. You're not going to be defined by what's going on in your head. You're not defined by any other sort of illness that you might be dealing with. Uh, physical, mental, invisible, visible. Uh, you you just are who you are and that's how I try to live even though I sometimes fail and you just have to admit that sometimes it just doesn't work wonderful Taylor is there anything you'd like to plug any places people can find you if you want to be found some people don't so yeah I uh I'm not gonna give out my socials just on the off chance that any of my students were to find them Uh, That would be fun, uh, as much as not fun that would be. But uh, I will plug uh, the WBNE network, which is how I know Ethan. Um, Just a group of podcasts that are absolutely wonderful and are just about positivity. Um, They sort of helped me get through, uh, have gotten me through quarantine with such amazing people. Honestly, that, me that's too. My, that's my plug. Wonderful. Yeah, like, head over that way. All right. 
Thank you, listeners, for tuning in this week to True Stories of a Tryhard. You can find me on Instagram at ethan.t.hewlin. You can find me on Twitter at etphonehome. Those are zeros and the e's are threes. You can find the podcast on Instagram and Twitter at True Stories Pod. The best way to get the word out about podcasts is via word of mouth and social media. So please, please, please share this with your friends, share it on your social media. And if you post it in some way and tag me, you will get featured on the official podcast accounts. And please feel free to leave a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. I would very much appreciate it. I'll be back with more stories next week. So until then, this is Ethan Hewlin and Taylor Ballier signing off.